Thank you for joining us in Season 2 of the Religion Podcast, where a rabbi and a reverend walk into a podcast and talk real about religion. Joel, good afternoon. Shalom. Thanks, buddy. Shalom back at you. How are you? I am vertical, as my stepfather said, and as I continue to reuse over and over again. And what's funny is you're you're not, because I see you drinking your cup of coffee with that beautiful, what picture is that on your coffee cup? Ah, this is a movie. My middle son was uh, a technician on a movie that was filmed right here on the Eastern Shore called Road to Galena. And this is his mug that he got as a member of the crew for that movie. It is being released very soon. So that's very cool. That was his his gig for a while uh, to be an audio tech on that film set. Is that the um, like, is that the poster picture or is that just a frame from the film? That is the poster picture advertising the film, which is just about to be released. And I don't know all of its distribution, but yeah, Road to Galena. Everybody look for it. Nice. Very nice. And how are you? I'm excited to talk. I'm good. You don't want to hear what I'm excited to talk about? Please. Uh, No, I am good. Um, We unfortunately, as I told you earlier, uh, had to put down our older dog uh, earlier this week, which was really hard, but it was done beautifully by a friend who's a vet and we were outside and the weather was beautiful and we gave him about half a pound of brisket as, as the whole process was happening and... You know, we rescued him when he was three, and I'd like to believe that we gave him a good life. And um, yeah, we're sad, but uh, and sorry to start off on such a down note, especially for other people. You know, many other people have had to do this before, and uh, I'm sure have memories of of that sadness and that difficulty. But uh, aside from that, uh, everything's great. To make this a touch more relevant to what the two of us normally talk about is, you know, I am a pet lover and I also maintain that there is a very clear distinction between human being and pets. And there have been times, not many, but there have been times when I've been asked to put a pet on our prayer list for the prayer for the for the sick or on you know, the yearly anniversary when the pet passed away. And I have to very gently but firmly say no. Right. And, uh, and and some people uh, get hurt by that, that their rabbi, their pastor w- will not allow that prayerful moment. Uh, not on our topic today, but certainly relevant <laughs> to what we do and religion, as it were. So one last aside then before we turn to the topic. No, I'm going to get the last word, Joel. So whatever you say, I'm going to say something after it. I see. All right. (laughs) Totally kidding. (laughs) Go on. So do y'all ever do blessings of the pets? Yes. And actually, we we have done it during – so listeners will know because we've talked about it before. uh, Each week uh, in the calendar corresponds to a different portion in the Torah, usually moving – Fourth, one portion after another through, you know, starting with Genesis and ending with Deuteronomy. And during the portion of Noah and Noah's Ark is usually when 
congregations, if they do a pet's blessing, will do so. And it happens to be a sad irony or coincidence that we put Rebbe, our oldest dog, to sleep during uh, the week that it was Parshat Noah. Noah. Um, wow. Yeah, but I have done that before. Outside, with leashes, you know, some people are incredibly scared of dogs or other pets, and so... Um, well, how do you put yeah, the iguanas and parakeets on leashes or goldfish? You, you, you bring your, you bring your uh, jar. <laughs> or your python. Bring the containment. You know what? Someone has a T-Rex and it's contained. Bring it. <laughs> yes, yes, please. <laughs> All right. We, are we avoiding the topic? Is it just too hard? Uh, no, let's talk about it. Evil. Theodicy. Go. <laughs> Theodicy. Theodicy. Uh, what, what is the root of that weird word? I, you know what? I know the first part, obviously. I don't know the second. So, you know, theodicy, <laughs> I've, I've heard it actually two ways. Maybe you can enlighten me, Joel, because I've used it both ways. It, it, I've heard that it is both the study of suffering from a theological vantage point, hence theo, but it's also a, and I'm using air quotes, an answer. So a theodicy, for example, and we'll get into this today, of course, but a theodicy, namely a theological explanation for suffering or evil in the world is that you will be rewarded in the world to come. That is a theodicy. Or God, mm. perhaps, is not omnipotent. Namely, God isn't all-powerful and so can't fix the suffering in the world, even if God wanted to. That would be a theodicy. Is that... Do, do you have a similar thing, or am I completely yeah, so it, the, um, incorrect? The odyssey, the Im image that we hear if we see odyssey, we are assuming journey... But really, it comes from Theos and DK, um, which is Theos just means God. And DK is um, the same root of the word that means justice or judgment or trial or righteousness. Uh, Dikaiosune is kind of the righteousness of God. But a, a Theo DK, Theos DK, means the God trial, the judgment of God, the trial of God. Um, it's where you put, um, it's where you judge God to be either worthy or unworthy of worship. And, and so that word theodicy is used because when we're talking about the source of evil, where does evil come from? Some people may, using different philosophical methods, put evil back onto God. And in so doing, find that God is not worthy of worship. And so that is their judgment of God, uh, and God is on trial in those ways, um, as opposed to those of uh, others of us who say, mm, evil has lots of sources, but God's probably not one of them. Uh, we judge God to be still worthy of worship, and we, we justify God's um, goodness. Uh, so the, this theodicy or this God trial um, – isn't just God puts us on trial, it's us putting God on trial. Yes. So would <laughs> yes. you so the word though, when you talk about the definition of theodicy, 
Would you use it as the study of suffering, evil, or is it the solution, so to speak? Um, I would say it's our, our attempt to judge God. It is the grand question that we all have to, to ask and come to some judgment about in order to get to some understanding of who we believe and trust God is. That's how I would do it. So it, it puts the philosophical burden of the Odyssey not on God. God is who God is. The Theo, DK, the Odyssey is on us. That, that's Got how it. I imagine it. So we, we probably should have ended with this rather than began, <laughs> but... Um, this is perfect. Uh, yeah, we're in. Yeah, we're, we're there. Let's take God out of it from now, perhaps, and I have a feeling it God will re-enter the conversation, but where is suffering? I mean, where where does it come from? Oh, suffering. So now now that's a different word. So okay, sorry. Yes. Let's make suffering, evil. As a generality, where does suffering and evil come from? Well, and like you'll have to help me do this. I don't know how you do it, but I differentiate suffering from injustice 100 from, from evil from pain from hardship right all of those are different things now a lot of people just have one master category evil and they put under that master category bad things things we don't like death hard stuff suffering cancer tornadoes, COVID, and it's all just under one massive umbrella, evil. And then under that umbrella of, quote, evil, we wonder why God did or allowed that evil, all those different sub-evils. Um, for me, I theologically, I had to be very careful about what kind of, quote, evil. I'm not going to say they're all evil, but under that umbrella of sub-evils, well, what kind of evil are we talking about here? Then I can find some scriptural or theological understanding of who God is around those kind of things. But the number one issue when we're talking about the source of evil is define evil. Like I don't put all things under that category evil that a lot of people do. Yeah, I, and I think the easiest distinction is human behavior versus not. Although even there, there is gray area. So for example, you know, a murderer, I think, is a different example than someone checking a text while they're driving and accidentally hitting or and or killing a pedestrian. Like those two are different. But they both certainly cause suffering, and they're both a kind of evil in some way. Well, let me ask you this. Do you think that God is all-powerful? Ooh, the omnis. In the Christian sphere, where you're <laughs> headed now, um, there are a lot of Christians who force themselves to comply with God being uh, omnipotent, omnipotent, 
uh, all-powerful, God being omniscient, omniscient, uh, all-knowing, um, omnipresent, uh, always present and everywhere present. So they, in a lot of old Christian confessional language, we would dis- try to describe God with human words, and a lot of them began with omni or all. Um, so I do uh, imagine God's power as greater than any other power. Whether that is all powerful isn't important, but I I have no one, no being, no consciousness that is more powerful than God. And the limits of this God's powerful, whatever they are, are either imposed on God's self by God's own character, um, not by God's creation. So I, I don't know how that answers your question, do I believe God is all-powerful? But I I do believe God might limit God's own self to have integrity in God's self. But it doesn't okay. but it doesn't necessarily mean God doesn't have the power to do something. It just may mean God um, wills or chooses or opts out of doing it. And the reason that I um, ask that is because there there is this theological idea, certainly in Judaism, that perhaps God can't change, you know, metaphorically snap God's fingers and fix whatever needs fixing. So for example, and I hate to use this example because it's it's the one that's all always used because it's such an extreme example of evil and suffering on a human scale, the Holocaust. You know, there's questions, why didn't God stop the Holocaust? And of course, there's an, an answer, so to speak, that does make sense. And I think it speaks to people, which is, well, if God were to have gotten involved in a way that wasn't human caused, that would betray our um, free will. And, and we've talked about free will before. But there's another, perhaps, again, answer is a strange word, but explanation perhaps is better, that, and this isn't just true for the Holocaust, this is true for anything, that God wants to very much kind of step in, but can't, doesn't have the power. Or perhaps, you know, another omni word, omniscient. Perhaps God doesn't even know. Or another explanation on a different path is perhaps God is like a parent that watches their child fail and lets them fail for the sake of their own growing up that they need to do. I mean, the the analogy, of course, is not a perfect one by any means. Um, But I, my own personal theology is more in line with the perhaps God is not all powerful. And if you'll permit me one more moment, um, the second verse of the Torah uh, has this bizarre phrase, and anyone familiar with the Bible, you know, from a Christian perspective or Jewish, uh, will recollect this, that, 
you know, the, the second verse is it, it says at the beginning of the universe, all was dark and void or formless and chaos. Uh, those adjectives are, are used often for this Hebrew word or this these two Hebrew words, tohu vavohu. And um, Joel, speaking of Greek, have we used, have we talked about hapax legomenon at all on our podcast? I don't think so. Okay, so a hapax legomenon is a Hebrew word or phrase that is used exactly once in the entirety of Torah or Bible. Um, and people talk about like a hapax that's just in Torah versus just in Bible. And this is one that's in the entirety of the Bible. Nowhere else are these two Hebrew words used. And the reason that that's important is because it makes them really hard to translate. <laughs> I mean, when we think about translation, even from, you know, Spanish to English, you think about context. Look at the word in other sentences and kind of figure it out. You can't do that for tohu vavohu. And so it's all, you know, it's translated as formless, void, chaos. But there's this idea that there's this primordial muck that existed in the universe before God said, let there be light. And there's... Now going into spirituality a bit, there's an idea that God did not create the universe ex nihilo. It wasn't created from nothing, that God did the best God could do with this tohu vavohu that was already there. And taking it a step further, it's suggested that this tohu vavohu is the metaphysical beginning of evil. Wow. So you would imagine something preceding God, or at least uh, equal in its age to God's uh, own self, and that God's gift was uh, recrafting the formless void into something that can create life or exhibit love, even if not perfectly. And therefore, the source of evil would not be God, but the primordial ooze from which God uh, recrafted it. That's exactly right. And, and the modern example or a modern example that I, I often give to people, it's like if you have an old house and you put in a new air conditioning unit or, or new air conditioning unit or you remodel and you build a new room, something from that old foundation still exists. You can't fix it completely unless you raise the house and start anew, which you're not going to do. And so similarly is with God and creation. Now, I do want to be clear. This is not, um, you know, what I would call normative Jewish belief, but it is there and it is a perfectly understandable reading from the text and from the fact that we're dealing with, you know, a, a hapax legomenon. That'll be the last time I say that. And for Christians and, and Christian theologians, while that belief um, is probably lingering, ancient Christian theologians, founders all the way through time, have always found themselves playing with ideas like that but settling back on creatio ex nihilo, creation out of nothingness. So that whatever that uh, translation of those two odd words are, formless void 
is intended to express nothingness. Um, not, it wasn't that there was stuff that was disarranged. It wasn't that there was weirdness and that had no structure or no form. It was void. It was empty. There was nothing. And into that nothingness, God sparked into being everything that ever could be. Now, just as much as like I've heard some people say, um, guns don't kill people, people kill people, (laughs) right? Uh, The goodness of creation doesn't have to have evil in its uh, substance for evil to happen in creation. So the difference might be, uh, for theologians, uh, is the source of evil God or God's creation, right? And I I can quickly do that. And typically, standard theology can almost always track evil back to some part of the creation that doesn't necessarily define its character or its substance, but just defines how it ended up embodying a different will other than God's will for the creation itself, with us being part of that creation. Yes. The normal response to the source of evil, the way I remember it, is it falls into three categories. And if you're put God on trial, uh, Theo, DK, uh, then the accusations of God are one of three. Hey, God, evil, what's up with that? Um, are you not powerful enough? Which was where you started. Do I believe God is all powerful? God, what? You don't have the power to stop evil? What's your problem? You wuss. Come on, man. Come on, woman. Come on. <laughs> Come on, God. Get it. Get in there. Um, the second accusation was what? You didn't know? You didn't see it coming? You, you weren't prepared? I thought you were all knowing. Surely you realize that if he does this and she does that and they do this, then all this evil is going to come out as the natural consequence of all their actions. Why didn't you stop it? You didn't know it was about to happen? So that's one and two, the first two accusations of God, that God isn't powerful enough to stop evil or God isn't aware that evil is about to happen. It sneaks up on God just like it does the rest of us. Then the third accusation is, perhaps the most condemning, oh, God is powerful enough and knows, just doesn't get involved either anyway. There's And, and painfully, there's even a fourth, which suggests maybe not necessarily intentionally, but maybe God is like us where we do uh, crappy things and evil things, maybe based on good intentions, maybe our tempers flare up. Um, now, that's not a theology I uh, find myself aligned with, but uh, it, it certainly exists. And that one falls into either omniscient, like I didn't know the consequences of what my actions would be, therefore they didn't match what I say my character is, or the third one, that God actually has some evil in God's own self, and the actions are words that come from God or that God sees or that God does or that God allows. God plays with evil. Um, and the story of Job has some of this in it, right? Where, oh, at the very beginning, the God council, Elohim, which includes Satan, 
sees Job and there's this argument in the God council about whether or not Job is a good person because Job is a good person, or if Job is only a good person because Job has benefited from the protection and safety and prosperity of God. And God allows inside the God council, Elohim, God allows Satan to go pull some of the blessings and benefits and prosperities from Job, and let's test this theory and see if Job still loves me. Job does in a really different way, (laughs) right? But never lets go of of Job's uh, relationship slash commitment to God, questions God big time, but that's different than breaks covenant with, that's different than breaks relationship with, that's different than stops loving. so absolutely, yeah. So something about in, in that imagination, all the quote evil that lands on Job appears to come from the God Council Elohim through the fallen uh, messenger Satan. And even that word "fallen" for Satan is a little unfair because in the Job story, Satan is not a fallen. Satan is just one of the God Council. That's right. But there, you know, I mean, the reason the Job story, I think, is so uh, powerful and resonant is, you know, God does cause unfair, unjust, evil things to Job. Um, And I think it's very easy. I mean, think about when lots, you know, lots of people do this. And I think it's human nature. I've done this when something bad happens well, why is God doing this to me? There's almost this implicit assumption that there is a purposeful, and by purposeful, that also necessitates meaningful reason. And that's why Job's friends in Job's story, even though they're really shitty, you know, that what they say is a meaningful response in that, well, Job, you must have done something. Like that, that is meaningful. It's completely anathema to anything I believe. Um, but, but if you take that idea seriously and, you know, it's all over the Torah, do, you know, do the mitzvot, perform everything in our covenant and I, and God will, you know, make it rain and cause one to be fertile and have many children, all of these things. There is this idea of a reward and punishment system. And again, like we talked about with war and everything else, if you take this stuff seriously, it's really hard because it's not so simple. Again, like anything else. Yeah, I've never seen the friends in Job anyway. The friends are trying to understand the source of Job's evil just as much as Job is trying to understand it. But they aren't suffering it so we can differentiate the two there. Uh, They aren't suffering it as directly as Job is. In that situation, their question, hey, Job, our guess is this is a consequence of something you've done. That's a reasonable starting point because our understanding of evil isn't that God is the random instigator of evil that just appears in our life out of nowhere. A lifelong smoker that gets cancer of their lungs and then says, why is God doing this to me, needs to know God didn't invent those cigarettes or buy four decades of them or light them and inhale them. Sorry. Right. But that's in some ways true. 
But in some ways, that's an easy example. What I mean, what about the person who drops dead of a heart attack after you know living healthfully and righteously and and all those sorts of Great. things? Great, and, and that's one and of that's, the easy examples. Only a fair starting point. the The issue with the friends is where I don't know chapter four, five, six, seven. They're they're asking challenging questions. They're still asking the same damn question at chapter thirty five. Um, yes. And they're not willing to play with all the possibilities. Like, hey, sometimes, Job, evil is a result of our consequences. Tell me about what you've, you know, some of the choices you've made recently in your life. Okay, sometimes what we call evil is just God's creation moving and and we get in its way. You know, so if there's a hurricane or a, let's say a, an earthquake happens at the bottom of the Pacific Ocean and a giant tsunami hits a shore 4,000 miles away and a lot of people die. I don't know. I'm, I, that is suffering. Boy, that is suffering. And it is painful. And I ache for every one of those folk who were on that beach that day. I can't call that evil. I, Absolutely. It's just creation being what it is. It, um, any more than I can call the Pompeo volcano exploding. Um, but there may be something about our impact on creation that is accelerating fires and tornadoes and hurricanes and whatever, in which case we can blame ourselves a little for the suffering we or our brothers and sisters feel when creation gets out of balance, out of whack, and starts putting its consequences in bigger, bolder ways on our fellow humanity. Yeah. And I frankly have a hard time using the word evil in connection to God simply because that's it's not a framework that it's stronger than I was going to say works for me. It's stronger than that. It's a framework that I don't think it exists. Um, my conception of God is is devoid of evil. Um, that doesn't mean that God is perfect either, but you know, evil to me is a very intentioned thing. Suffering is not, and that's I, I appreciate your distinction from the beginning of you know, or a tornado is different than Hitler, right? Or, or because one is one is very much based on will and intention, and one is not, and the other is not. Yeah, have you had uh, have you had your toddler punch you in the face yet? <laughs> no, but I, I I know it will happen. I, I mean, I've had him push me. I've had him. Yes. Yeah. I, I, I <laughs> so there's this amazing moment. Like as a dad, there's this amazing moment where you're holding your child, right, and they grab your hair or something, right, or they and they and, and you just. You, of course, it's not evil. They're just a kid. Oh, my gosh. They're just an infant. And, you know, whatever. And they don't know any better, we might say. Um, then there's this day <laughs> where your kid is does something, and it's wrong, and they shouldn't do it. And you tell them, hey, don't. They look you in the eye, and they do it anyway. And right. what, like, what happens is... 
in what happened in me <laughs> when I saw that happen the first time, oh my gosh, right? And the second time, like, oh yeah, I remember that. And the third time, like, yeah, that's what kids do. I, but I remember the massive anger and disappointment and shock as a new dad who watches that happen. And when I think about evil in our world, I think about God feeling that 24-7. That, mm. that shock that, you know, how dare they? Like, I taught them better. Oh, my gosh, what happened here? I, I think about God feeling that for us. Yeah, and I think that's an interesting analogy, especially as in Judaism, we always, I mean, always, we very often make the comparison of God as a parent to us as parents, or more or more to the point, God as a creator and us as a creator. And I, I think the parallel does go to that, to what you s- just suggested. Yeah, the, it, the source of evil, it, what I find and when I talk, um, what is the source of evil with normal Christians um, who've been raised in America and grew up, I don't know, Methodist, Baptist, Presbyterian, Episcopalian, whatever, non-denominational, doesn't matter. Um, the the quickie, um, early, milky <laughs> theologies that we're given just to, to just, just get us going are something like, yeah. hey, God is good. And there's evil in the world, and sometimes God allows it to teach us stuff, right? Or, or sometimes God does it um, to show us the consequences of our actions. Uh, or sometimes uh, God is doing whatever God needs to do, and we get in the way, and then we call it evil. Um, or sometimes God is trying to teach us a lesson, Right. Or sometimes God is trying to rebalance the scales of justice and and people will scrape and claw for some kind of semi quick rational uh, narrative that they can put on things that we've judged as evil. And and what I always try to do with them is don't go so fast through this. Like, linger, really feel the the pain and the suffering and the evil, really see the consequences. Um, here's this may be a fair example, or some people may go, uh oh. Um, teaching critical race theory in public schools nowadays. Um, for those people who have really looked into that and tried to say, okay, what is critical race theory? It's saying. We're not going to make any old school assumptions about any system in America. We're going to look at every single one of them again critically with the memory that this country was founded on institutional slavery based on race. And we're going to see if that founding still resonates in the way we do voting or the way we do police and if you do that, you begin to see old, 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 old evils that still have reverberations and echoes that flow out onto people who are born today. So a white person who's 37 today can say, well, I'm not a racist. Why are you calling me a racist? And we can say, ah, but a long, long time ago, and then a long time ago, and then just 50 years ago, and then just 20 years ago, and now today. And if you'll help us dismantle the system... Yay! But if you pretend like it's not um, racist 
or if you get defensive, right, you're not, okay, maybe you're not racist, but you are perpetuating an old racism in the systems around you, which means that you, you're caught on the tidal wave of evil that was behind you. And that's the other awkward thing for me and talk about evil. Evil isn't just choices we make. It's also a condition into which we're born. And we all ride this big wave of evils that came before us. So we can't always pin it on a choice that we make or a, an exorcism of uh, an exorcism of our will. Uh, exorcism? Exercising. Exercising of our will. But uh, it, sometimes it's... Uh, like that's another, that's another religion entirely. We, we, we need to get... Uh... Exorcism. <laughs> It's good. You know, there there is also this um, distinction too, both in terms of just how we as human beings think and also religious thinking of, you know, short-term suffering versus long-term. So th there's this kind of midrash, this story of a father... Um, has a son and the son is riding a horse for the first time and the, and the son falls off the horse and breaks his arm. And, it, and the, the father kind of curses God for, and I'm paraphrasing the story, but the father curses God for letting this suffering happen to his son. But then a few weeks later, the army comes by for, for, to forcibly conscript eligible sons to join the army and he can't because of his arm. And he, and he wouldn't be able to fulfill the task. And now the man praises God for the fortune that has happened. And so kind of balancing and understanding, you know, short-term things versus long-term. And I think we've all, anyone who has lived long enough, which is really lived, has felt that there are benefits, blessings, healed relationships that come out of tragedy and loss and and evil that doesn't justify the reality of them but it uh it, it doesn't make it untrue that that those things come from them either oof i love it when you start to get into the midrashim that's that's the fun stuff i feel like you know, rabbis just have this treasure trove of zingers that they tell at each other. <laughs> and to be in a room with 50 rabbis. Or, or to whoever will listen, Joel, whoever will listen. <laughs> well, uh, Rabbi Jesus had a few um, as well. And apparently the crowd, one, at some point, they were ragging him and questioning him about why evil happened. And there's this story. It's in Luke uh, chapter 13. And there were apparently some Galileans. Jesus was from Nazareth, a Galilean himself. And they were making sacrifice and Pilate attacked them. And the phrase is something like mingled their blood with their sacrifices. So I don't know why, but the political leader came and killed them while they were at worship. Yikes, right? Um, and Jesus asked the crowd, do you think because those Galileans suffered this way that they were worse sinners, in other words, more evil 
than all the other Galileans. No, I tell you. Um, and and then, mm. then there's another one, he says, or the 18 who were killed when the Tower of Siloam fell on them. Uh, do you think they were worse sinners, more evil than all the others living in Jerusalem? No, I tell you. So his, his examples there are one of direct human violence and accidental mistake, right? And it might have been human neglect, you know, a tower falls. Maybe it was bad construction like that condo in Florida. Or maybe it was just an accident, a pure total accident. Every human did everything possible and right. The tower still fell um, and killed some people. He doesn't put on either of those, the victims of it anyway, those who suffered it, a varying degree of evil. He doesn't mention Pilate mm. in that, right? I, my guess is if he was to say, do you think Pilate was more evil? He would say yes. Um, but that's not what he's talking about. He's trying to talk to those who suffer um, under the weight of sometimes evil and sometimes natural things. And he doesn't allow there to be a differentiation on our measure of evil um, as a people who suffer as deserving it because of some measure of their evil. So there's there's not a balancing of the scale, so to speak. Mm. That's fascinating. Yeah, I hate that story. <laughs> I, no, understood, but it's still an important story, right? Yeah, well, after each one of those, he also says something like, but... Unless you repent. Repent is our Greek word for that turnaround and change. Hebrew word that you talked about it a few episodes ago. Yep. Unless unless you all repent, you could perish like they did. Unless you repent, you could perish just like they did. And and the question is, wait, repentance will prevent my death? I, I thought you said that the death wasn't dependent on my actions, but now you're saying my actions can prevent that kind of death. So there's a there's a paradoxical understanding in that own parable, even as Jesus speaks it. Sure. Well, and we just went through a, a, a similar paradox, or, or modern Jews in, in my congregation certainly do, where you know as we as we go through Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, and we ask to be inscribed in the Book of Life, and there's this theological notion that God locks the doors of repentance following the end of Yom Kippur and our fate is sealed. Mm -hmm. You know, we, we deal with the cognitive dissonance of that because I, I think very few people actually believe that. Mm -hmm. um, and yet it's, you know, it, it's a really powerful uh, idea that we, we struggle with during the holidays. There is one super easy Christian answer to source of evil that we haven't really talked about yet. Okay. The devil. Go there. <laughs> let's, let's talk about him. I, I think Christianity a long, long time ago, trying to figure out where the heck evil comes from, they were absolutely sure evil was real. In all, in all of its suffering and painful forms, 
which we've already talked about. And they were absolutely unwilling to put it on God or had realized it can't come from God. That's not who God is either way. So the shortcut solution out of that quagmire is, well, it must come from Satan. Um, so they wrote Dante's Inferno, <laughs> right, and crafted a new narrative about a second Lord that is God's opponent in all ways, and God is the source of good and life and hope, and Satan is Hasatan, the tempter, the accuser. Um, that is the source of all evil and lies um, and trickery. Um, so there are a lot of Christian practices that don't have an issue with source of evil because they've solved it with Satan. Right. And and I think this goes back to what I was talking about, um, about having a meaningful answer to things because belief and, you know, I'm not Christian. I'm not, for, forgive if this sounds pompous that I'm speaking on behalf of Christianity, but it's just human nature that it's easier to put the answer and the blame onto something than a kind of, well, that's just the way the world works and life sucks sometimes. Like we want an answer. We want to know why something happened. And so to to funnel all of that confusion and pain and lack of understanding onto a devil, it makes sense to me. Yeah. Yeah, there's this horrible text <laughs> that isn't one of my favorites. It's in that same Luke 13, right after he talks about evil uh, getting killed by Pilate or evil tower falling on you. There's a woman who is, um, she has something that has crippled her for a really long time, and she can't stand, she can't walk. And uh, it's a Sabbath day. Jesus calls her over and heals her. And she immediately stands up and is healed. And the leaders of the synagogue are furious that Jesus cured, worked on the Sabbath. Um, and they kept yelling, um, there are six days when you could do this, but not on the Sabbath. And Jesus fires back at them, you hypocrites. Oh, my gosh. Um, if one of you had a donkey that was tied up... Um, <laughs> <laughs> Wouldn't you untie it so it could have water? Um, and then he says, and ought not this woman whom Satan has tied up for 18 years be set free from her bondage on this Sabbath? And the entire crowd and everybody was, they went still at his response there. But in Jesus' own words, he saw her physical affliction, uh, the source of that in her, as he used the word satan. Um, now, we don't translate it right. In Greek, it's whom the tempter, ha satan, bound for 18 years. We take out the the and we capitalize mm -hmm. the s. So it makes it look like satan is a name, not an adjective, a describing adjective. Right. Um, right, right, right. But it's... It makes it a challenge when Jesus talks like that about the source of evil in her, her physical pain and suffering, being perceived as evil and coming from the tempter. And, you know, I may have been Camus, but do not quote me on that, um, that said, you know, the question of suffering or 
pain, evil, and yes, I'm conflating all three of those in, in, for this, uh, although I do not believe those are all the same, similar to you, um, that that is the religious question. So it is, I, I do believe very strongly that it is impossible to take any religion seriously and not dig in to the, the struggle of life that we have that involves and includes evil and suffering and pain. And um, I, I like what you said earlier about, you know, you, forgive me now if I'm misquoting you, but, you know, when you're teaching or talking to congregants and they want to get to a quick answer about something and it's like, no, sit, let's sit with this. You know, we, we our traditions have struggled with this for hundreds, if not thousands of years. It deserves more than five minutes of a generalized basic answer. Yeah, it's a it's a place where in the, uh, let's say, more meditative religions uh, slash um, less God centric, but uh, like Buddhism, where the, the kind of the source of suffering is the inability to just be present and the inability to let be what is to be right here right now everything that is it just is and the mm. the source of suffering pain evil in all of that is either attachment to something that we feel like we lost or that we're never going to get or grief over losing it or losing hope for it. Um, and usually those spiritual techniques and teachings are to teach you to let go of what was behind and to focus only on where you are right now, what is happening right now, and to just observe it for what it is without expectations that it, it be different or be more or less or whatever. And and I can sense there are times in my life where that kind of spiritual practice is necessary, where my my will to make something before or after me be different is causing me pain, and to let those go and to trust. That is a faithful exercise. The reason I'm not Buddhist but a Christian is I also find in that answer to evil— um, the source of all evil being attachment to what was or what could be. I find there to be no hope in that religion. Um, hope is recognition of how things really are, but a vision, an expectation that they really could be better, mm. not just for me, but for all people. And where there is hope, there is expectation which sets me up to suffer if we accomplish it or not, if we reach it or not, if justice. And how would you, dif how would you differentiate that from Buddhism, for example? Well, f for them, right, um, they're not going to look as far into the future or into the past. They're going to stay here. They're going to do what is good and beautiful here. And if something isn't good or isn't beautiful here, well, that's what it is. And they will try to 
do something that is good or beautiful into it, but they won't see that the goal is not to feel the suffering because you don't have an expectation of it to be any different than what it is. So mm. you don't suffer. Now, there, there still may be pain or there still may be hunger, but you don't suffer in that because you don't hate what wasn't or ache for what will not be. You, I like you that. just are. But for me, I can't live there. I see too much real pain, not just in me, but in my world and around me. And I insist that justice for some of the ills and evils in our world is due and is coming. Therefore, I feel the pain and suffering of the difference between what is and what could or should be. And and I think that is the paradox, like how to have peace that we're not there yet and commitment to push to get there. And I don't know how mm. to do both at the same time, but um, I think the source of evil for some other religions and philosophies is attachment to past or future um, expectation. But well, this, I need expectation to exist. <laughs> absolutely. I mean, yes. I mean, there is a – we could not live – our lives the way that I think we should if generally speaking we don't have the expectation that you know quote unquote the sun's going to come out tomorrow so to speak right or that I'm going to be alive tomorrow I mean think of all the plans we have and I'm not just I'm not talking about like oh you know we're going on vacation in six months God willing everyone will be okay but just that the, the act of being a family and having a relationship with people relies on the on expectation. Um, the, the trick, and I think you alluded to this, is kind of the where do we where is the line drawn between what's a reasonable expectation and and wish fulfillment, perhaps, or something unreasonable. Um, and that's where we get into trouble and perhaps suffering when the expectations don't don't live up to the reality. And if we can find a way to hope, but but not be crushed when the hopes aren't met, is if our hope is truly in tune with who God is, I, we're, we're better off because um, we know that's coming. What God wants, it's coming. It may not be here yet. It may not get here fast enough. It's coming. Um, yep. So I... I can feel okay putting my hope there, and I'm not disappointed in the presence of evil or suffering or pain or natural disaster because I know God's hope is coming, slash believe. I had a congregant at my former congregation in Omaha who had her share of pain and tragedy, just like most other people. And she said that she tries to live by the by the adage, "Why not me?" In other words, not God. Why didn't why did this happen to me? But you know, why shouldn't it happen to me? And you could look at that with good things too. I mean, we have this default assumption that I'm going to wake up tomorrow feeling healthy, 
But can you imagine if we flipped it, if we if the expectation would be that, you know, well, we're going to get sick sometimes and tomorrow might as well be the day versus the ex expectation that we'd be healthy every day. We would really treat like almost a miracle, um, but rather it's, it's the other way. And by the way, this is true for myself as much as anyone else. <laughs> right. You know, I'm not. Yeah, I love that. Why not me? All right, man. Well, what is on our t uh, tap for next week? Do you remember? I don't. So, so, okay. Today was Source of Evil. Next week, we are going to talk about faith. What is faith? Aha. What does it do? Does God... And I, I if I can um, let the cat out of the bag of our big question, does God care more about faith or deeds? Or as you might put them, works. Well, as always, buddy, uh, Rabbi, thanks for sharing religion space with me. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, yeah, well, listeners, we'll uh, see you all soon and keep it real. Thank you for joining us on the Religion Podcast today, where a rabbi and a reverend walk into a podcast and talk real about religion. I'm Reverend Joel Talbert, and on behalf of Rabbi Eric Linder, and all the religion fans out there. We thank you for being with us today and invite you to send us any feedback or suggestions or topic ideas to religionpodcast at gmail.com. Until next time, keep it real.